J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 15 Anna the Prophetess and Her History Luke chapter 2 verses 36 through 40 And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from the time when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. The verses we have now read introduce us to a servant of God whose name is nowhere else mentioned in the New Testament. The history of Anna, like that of Simeon, is related only by Luke. The wisdom of God ordained that a woman, as well as a man, should testify to the fact that Messiah was born. In the mouth of two witnesses it was established that Malachi's prophecy was fulfilled, that the messenger of the covenant would suddenly come to the temple. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Let us observe in these verses the character of a holy woman before the establishment of Christ's gospel. The facts recorded about Anna are few and simple, but we shall find them full of instruction. Anna was a woman of irreproachable character. After a married life of only seven years' duration, she had spent the rest of her life alone as a widow. The trials, desolation, and temptation of such a condition were probably very great. But Anna, by grace, overcame them all. She answered to the description given by Paul, she was a widow indeed. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. Anna was a woman who loved God's house. She departed not from the temple. She regarded it as the place where God especially dwelt, and toward which every pious Jew in foreign lands, like Daniel, loved to direct his prayers. Nearer to God, nearer to God, was the desire of her heart, and she felt that she was never so near as within the walls that contained the ark, the altar, and the holy of holies. She could enter into David's words, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Psalm 84, verse 2. Anna was a woman of great self-denial. She served God with fastings night and day. She was continually crucifying the flesh and keeping it in subjection by voluntary self-denial. Being fully persuaded in her own mind that the practice was helpful to her soul, she spared no pains to keep it up. Anna was a woman of much prayer. She served God with prayer night and day. She was continually communing with him as her best friend about the things that concerned her own peace. 
She was never weary of pleading with him on behalf of others, and above all, for the fulfillment of his promises concerning the Messiah. Anna was a woman who held communion with other saints. As soon as she had seen Jesus, she spoke of him to others whom she knew in Jerusalem, and with whom she evidently was on friendly terms. There was a bond of union between her and all who enjoyed the same hope. They were servants of the same master, and travellers to the same home. And Anna received a rich reward for all her diligence in God's service before she left the world. She was allowed to see him who had been so long promised, and for whose coming she had so often prayed. Her faith was at last changed to sight, and her hope to certainty. The joy of this holy woman must indeed have been unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 It would be well for all Christian women to ponder the character of Anna and learn wisdom from it. The times, no doubt, are greatly changed. The social duties of the Christian are very different from those of a Jewish believer at Jerusalem. All are not placed by God in the condition of widows. But still, after every deduction, there remains much in Anna's history which is worthy of imitation. When we read of her consistency and holiness and prayerfulness and self-denial, we cannot but wish that many daughters of the Christian Church would strive to be like her. Let us observe, secondly, in these verses, the description given of saints in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus was born. They were people who looked for redemption. Faith, we should always find, is the universal character of God's elect. These men and women here described, dwelling in the midst of a wicked city, walked by faith and not by sight. They were not carried away by the flood of worldliness, formality, and self-righteousness around them. They were not infected by the carnal expectations of a mere worldly Messiah in which most Jews indulged. They lived in the faith of patriarchs and prophets that the coming Redeemer would bring in holiness and righteousness and that his principal victory would be over sin and the devil. For such a Redeemer... They waited patiently. For such a victory, they earnestly longed. Let us learn a lesson from these godly people. If they, with so few helps and so many discouragements, lived such a life of faith, then how much more ought we, with a furnished Bible and a full gospel, to live by faith? Let us strive, like them, to walk by faith and look forward. The second advent of Christ is yet to come. The complete redemption of this earth from sin and Satan and the curse is yet to take place. Let us declare plainly by our lives and conduct that we look and long for this second coming. We may be sure that the highest style of Christianity, even now, is to wait for redemption and to love the Lord's appearing. Romans chapter 8 verse 23 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Let us observe lastly in these verses what clear proof we have that the Lord Jesus was really and truly man as well as God. We read that when Mary and Joseph returned to their own city, Nazareth, the child grew and became strong. There is doubtless much that is deeply mysterious in the person of the Lord Jesus. How the same person could be at once perfect God and perfect man is a point that necessarily surpasses our understanding. In what manner and measure and in what proportion at the early part of his life that divine knowledge which he doubtless possessed was exercised, we cannot possibly explain. It is a lofty truth. We cannot attain unto it. One thing, however, is perfectly clear, and we should do well to lay firm hold upon it. Our Lord partook of everything that belongs to man's nature, sin only excepted. As man, he was born an infant. As man, he grew from infancy to boyhood. As man, he yearly increased in bodily strength and mental power during his passage from boyhood to full age. Of all the sinless conditions of man's body, its first feebleness, its aftergrowth, its regular progress to maturity, he was in the fullest sense a partaker. We must rest satisfied with knowing this. To pry beyond is useless. To know this clearly is of much importance. An absence of settled knowledge of it has led to many wild heresies. One comfortable practical lesson stands out on the face of this truth, which ought never to be overlooked. Our Lord is able to sympathize with man at every stage of man's existence, from the cradle to the grave. He knows by experience the nature and temperament of the child, the boy, and the young man. He has stood in their place. He has occupied their position. He knows their hearts. Let us never forget this in dealing with young people about their souls. Let us tell them confidently that there is one in heaven at the right hand of God who is exactly suited to be their friend. He who died on the cross was once a boy himself and feels a special interest in boys and girls as well as in grown-up people. <laughs>